Our church, ICF Zurich, is celebrating its 20 years anniversary this year. And during that time, we never had a permanent home. Through the growth of our church and external factors, we always had to move location from one place to another. But this time is soon coming to an end. We are coming home. And we are so looking forward to this new chapter that we are living as a church. This new building will give us great facilities for our celebrations, great room for community, ICF college courses, and amazing room for our kids and youth facilities. If you want to be part of this project, if you want to get some information on this project called Coming Home, and maybe you want to support it financially, then please go to our website. You will get all the informations there. Thank you so much for your support. Every day we will tell you the Christmas story in a fresh, new way. The celebrations filled with great gospel music and unexpected guests. And for Christmas, the wonderful Christmas experience. The story of Christmas. Christmas season at ICF. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Wow. The story of Christmas. I feel honored to be able to start this series today. On a Sunday of the first Advent, we heard about it. It means arrival. So what we are celebrating is the arrival of the Savior of the world. And as we go towards Christmas, there's a progressive expectation of what God has done when he sent his son on this earth to save us. And you know, 2,000 years ago, there were lots of expectations. There were expectations on all different levels over the centuries that had built up to a climax. 
There was on the one side, there was a political expectation. We heard in the text, Herod was the king in Israel. But it was not a king like David had been or Salomon who was like building this amazing nation of Israel. No, Herod was a king that the Romans who occupied the whole country had set as a king over the people of Israel and the people hated Herod. Why? Because he was corrupt, he was violent, he was not really the kind of king that you're expecting to have. So there was an expectation for a political renewal. But not only this, there was an expectation for a spiritual renewing. We heard in the story, it's about the priest Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. And in that time, there were 18,000 priests that were uh, officing around Jerusalem, the temple, and were in charge for the worship of the people. 18,000, and most of them were corrupt. Most of them were religious, they were self-centered, and that's why in this passage, it is said explicitly that Zachariah and Elizabeth were God-fearing, that they were actually doing what God was telling them to do. And this is really something that you had to highlight in this time because most of the priests wouldn't live in God's way. Even the high priest, the highest spiritual um, people in the country was placed, put in place by the King Herod. So he was not like one in the family of Aaron. He was set by Herod as a political high priest, and so he was corrupt too. So we see here a building up for a spiritual renewal. But then there is a personal story. It's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple, and it says that Elizabeth was barren. They didn't have children. And you know, in that time, if you were barren, it was a sign that you didn't have the favor of God on your life. And I can imagine Zechariah, who he, he was always around priests, you know, around these religious people. They were probably chatting behind their backs, telling people, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it seems everything perfect in this couple. I'm sure there must be some hidden sins some, somewhere. Otherwise, why wouldn't God give them children? Children are a blessing from the Lord, and apparently, they don't deserve God's blessing. And I can imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been praying. They had some personal expectation. They have been praying for a son or a daughter, a child, for years. And you know, the, the, the whole Old Testament tells about this expectation of a Messiah, of a Savior, who will come and change everything. And Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 of Malachi is the last chapter of the Old Testament. And the verses 5 and 6 are the two last verses of the Old Testament. And let's read what it, what it says there right at the end of the Old Testament. That's the last words in our Old Testament. It says there, See, I will send you Elijah. And Elijah, I mean, yeah, he, he, was, he, he was not on the earth anymore. So it's, it's talking about another Elijah than the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. The man of God, before the day of the Lord comes, that great day 
that will be full of much trouble. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, or else I will come and destroy the land with a curse. So you see that this passage tells us about a savior, a prophet like Elijah who will come, and what will he do? He will do a heart transplant. Because you know, all these problems that we've heard from political, Spiritual and also these personal things are part of a fallen world. And what the people needed in that time was someone who would do a heart transplant. Change the hearts of the, the fathers to their sons and the sons to their fathers. But you know why? What? After these words of Malachi, there were, there were 430 years of silence. So between the last verse of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there are over 400 years silence. There were no prophets. There was nothing recorded in the Bible. Of course, God was still here. He was still active. He was still doing his things. But in the Bible, for the people of God, there was no word of God that was recorded. So God was silent for over 400 years. Imagine that. 400 years, there's a promise still ringing in the ears of the people that there will be someone coming, like the prophet Elijah. But 400 years is a long time. But now, God is about to do something great. This is the story of Christmas. And you know, God, he does nothing by accident. When you pray, Accidents happen because God makes it happen. And if, when we look at this passage and we look at the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we start to understand that God is about to do something great. You know, the name Zechariah means God remembers. That's the meaning of the name Zechariah, by accident. And the meaning of the name Elizabeth is God's promises. So you take that together at the beginning of this Christmas story, God remembers his promises. 400 years of silence, but then God makes it clear there's something new happening. God is faithful to his promises. That is one of his major values that we know from God is that he's faithful. When God is saying something, it will come to pass. And so God is faithful to his promises. And uh, how did that happen, you know? Zechariah, he had his big day. And we read about it in Luke 1, uh, verses 8 to 9. It says there, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and the serving uh, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, you need to understand, there were 18,000 priests in Israel at that time. They were organized in 24 divisions. That means there were 750 priests in every division, and every one of these divisions served for two weeks per year in the temple. So that's how it was organized. And from all these priests, only one 
could go into the temple and serve by the altar to burn incense. And at that day, they were drawing, and it was Zechariah's name. And so you can imagine for Zechariah, this was a great day. The Talmud uh, says that for a priest, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to enter into the holy, not the holies of holies, but into the room before the holies of holies, where there was this altar that you see rebuilt here, a bit bigger than it was in natural, but he, he, he could go in there, and his duty was in the morning, in the evening, for one whole week to burn the incense in the temple. So that was Zechariah's day. So he entered into the temple, and uh, he did burn the incense. And while he was doing that, an angel appeared. And the angel said in uh, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. They've probably been praying for years. Because they were, they were old. They were not in the age to conceive anymore. But they've been praying year after year after year. Their prayer was like this incense. That is, this incense is a symbol for the worship of the people that is going up into heaven. And the angel tells him, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So we see this personal expectation is met in the temple, right at this altar. But not only this, we talked about a spiritual expectation. And that's what comes next in verse 17. And he will go, and you remember the words from Malachi. You remember, I told you, the last word of the Old Testament was talking about Elijah and about a heart transplant. Let's read what is uh, said in, in Luke 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, of course, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom uh, of the righteous to make ready a people Prepared for the Lord. 400 years of silence, but one promise, and there it is. Personal expectations are met, and a spiritual renewing is about to happen. And you know, when I was thinking about this message, I thought, it's not by coincidence that the angel appeared right at the altar of incense. As I told you before, the incense, this altar was a symbol, and a symbol for a spiritual reality. The thing is that this incense was burning 24, seven days, was burning all the time in the temple as a sign for the worship of the people that is ascending to heaven. And so this is the sign that this incense is talking about. And we can read about this in Revelation 8. It says there in verse 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar. 
He held a cup made of gold full of special perfume or incense. He was given much perfume so he could mix it with the prayers of those who belonged to God. Their prayers were put on the altar made of gold who belong, um, before the throne, smoke from burning the special perfume, and the prayers of those who belonged to God went up before God out of the angel's hand. This is the natural symbolic of a spiritual reality that your worship, your prayer, leaves the natural and goes into the supernatural. It goes before the throne of God. And I mean, sometimes you may feel that your prayers like are hitting the ceiling. That's not true. Every prayer is leaving earth and going right before the throne of God. And each time we worship, if, it's, if we speak out prayers in words or we're singing the prayers, they're going right up to heaven. That's why prayer and worship is so dangerous. That's why the devil will always try to stop you from praying, to stop you from worshiping, to stop you from reading the word of God. Why? Because he knows that the only prayer that can't be answered is the prayer that hasn't been spoken out. You know, incense has no power. That's just a symbol. There's some religion where they think that even the incense gives you some supernatural power. That's not what we believe. That's not what they believed in the time of the temple. But for them, you know, entering this temple and smelling the incense, I mean, I will be high tonight after four services of smoking that thing. But this was such a picture of worship that is continually going up to heaven. You know, when we worship, did you know that when we are in worship, in corporate worship, as we were a couple of minutes ago, did you know that our hearts synchronize when we, when we sing together? Did you know that our hearts beat as one when we corporately worship our God? You know, the best way to be unified in a group of people like that is worship. Worship. Just speak out the truth of God together with music, and this will unify a group of people. But the other thing is, each time we pray, each time we worship, each time we read the Bible, we, we inline our thoughts with the, with the thoughts of God. We, we take our thoughts captive and put them under God. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So each time you worship, each time you're speaking out the truth of God, that's what you do. You, you inline your thinking life with the thoughts of God. You know, I don't know how your thought life was when you entered the room this afternoon. Maybe it looked a little bit like Times Square in New York. You know, thousands of screens, information everywhere. And that's sometimes how we feel, how we feel in our thought life. There's so much happening. There's so much expectation from everyone, from your wife, from your husband, from your children, from your boss, from your pastor. There's so much that is going on in your head when you enter 
a service or when you're starting the day or you're coming home from work. But you know, each time we worship, each time we pray, each time we praise, do you know what happens? The screens switch to no other name than Jesus. You know, Hillsong, New York, a couple of years ago, they rented out all these screens on Times Square and put the name of Jesus on there. And that's such a, a strong picture of what happens when we worship. We inline our thoughts that are going everywhere and you put one name over it, that's the name of Jesus. And we need that, you know. We need to, to discipline our thought life. We need through worship to inline everything that wants to happen in our head to one name, and that's the name of Jesus. Do you know why the birds are singing in the morning? I mean, early morning. Right before dawn, before the first rays of the sun, the birds are singing like crazy. Why is that? Some people ask themselves the same question. They were thinking about why. I mean, of course it's nice. We love to hear the birds singing. But there must be some greater meaning behind the singing of the birds. And so, they found out that actually the birds in the morning, especially in spring, with their singing, they are awakening the nature. They're awakening the plants. How do they do that? You know, the plants are organic things, plants. And they feed from the ground, but they also feed from the air, from everything that's coming out from heaven. And what they found out is that the plants have a lot of, they call it stoma. Stoma is Greek for mouth. So this is a leaf with a lot of this, this mouth. And I have a picture where you see it even closed it up. So that's, that's a leaf very close. And you see there's a lot of these stomas of this mouth that are here to captive the nutrient that is in the air, that is coming out of, of the, the morning dew and the, the rain. And what these uh, people found out is that actually when the birds are singing early morning, they produce like some vibration that is actually opening up the stomas in the plants. And this makes the plants receptive for the food that is coming down from heaven. How great is that? You know, God is a creator. And he's, everything he's doing, he's doing it on purpose. And so there's a bigger meaning in everything we see in creation. Even in the things that we don't see, God is right into that. So, you know, like, of course they had to test that. Because if you're scientific, you can't just say things that are just assumed. So what they did, they, they took some plants and they played them some music. Especially Vivaldi's Four Seasons concert. And you know Vivaldi, he was a master in capturing the sound of nature. And so you hear the birds, it's springtime. And you know, the plants that had been grown with this music, 
gave up to 70% more growth than the other plants. So they could show that actually music is helping to grow plants. I mean, they found out that it's not working with every kind of music. So, I mean, free jazz didn't work. And I understand. Because you know, like, I get nervous when I, when, I, when I listen to that. So that's not the sound of the birds. That's the sound of some crooked something. But you know, like, there's power in music. And you know, the whole Bible tells us about it, that God created music. And when we'll be in heaven before the throne of God, there will be 24-hour worship. And not just because it's nice. Of course, we, we like nice music. But it's more of that. There's power. There's power in, in worship. Worship that is coming from the natural and ascending before the throne of God. And I believe that the same is true for, you, for us humans. There are scientific uh, who found out that actually people who are regularly worshiping, praising, praying, reading the Bible, are more healthy than others. Why? Because up to 98% of every physical and mental illness starts up here in your thinking life, in your thought life. And so if we start to inline our thoughts with thoughts of God, we are open for His power. And I think that music opens your soul to the spiritual. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so powerful to worship. That's the reason why we start our services with worship music. It's not because it's nice. It gives you five or ten minutes longer to get into the service. You're missing out one of the most important parts of the meeting. Why? Because this music opens up your captivity for the, for the spiritual, for what God is about to do in this time. So, you know, when I prepared this message, I felt that God telling me, hey, let's start this Christmas time with a time where we enter into the presence of God. And so I brought my personal bird with me. And uh, she's a very nice bird, actually. I've been married to her for the last 17 years. And yes. And I felt that God was telling me, hey, let's start this Christmas time with a time where we enter into the presence of God, where we worship, where we open our stomachs for what God is about to do. You know, I don't know what your expectations are for this Christmas time. I don't know what your expectations are for the end of this year or maybe for next year that is starting in a couple of weeks. I know that Christmas time is a, is a time of joy and of happiness, but it's also a time of trouble. It's a time of sorrows because, you know, you realize maybe your family is dysfunctional and uh, is maybe overseas and you feel alone or whatever is in your life. And I feel that God wants to, to kickstart this Christmas season 
and touch his people with his spirit. You know, after Elizabeth got this message from the angel, she, um, we have the story of, of um, um, Mariah, who also had an, an angel who, was, who appeared and to told her that she would have a, a, a baby. And the angel says the following to her, see your cousin Elizabeth, as old as she is, is going to give birth to a child. She was not able to have children before, but now she is in her sixth month. And then the angel says, for God can do all things. God can do all things. God can do all things. And as we come together tonight and just send our praises up to heaven, I expect God to move in our midst. And you know, I want to do it in a way that we don't do too often at ICF, but I really feel that sometimes it needs some bold step of faith to receive what God has in store for you. And so I ask the prayer team to come to the front. So we have the, the prayer team, we have pastors, we have leaders that are here uh, at the front of the stage. And as we are singing, as, as, uh, as Tabea will start worshiping, singing, I pray that you come forward if you need a prayer, if you need a breakthrough. Maybe you're sick, maybe there's a relationship falling apart in your life or whatever it is, whatever expectation you have. I want to stand on the promise of God that nothing is impossible for Him. And let's, let's spend this time in His presence and expect God to move in our lives. So let's take these couple of minutes. We'll have Tabea singing, the team joining us. But please, please, don't let this time just pass you by without you taking a step towards God. He wants to do something. I feel He's here and He wants to touch your life. Angels and saints who is sing worthy 
you can stand to your feet and just just worship God you know with your voice with your words and uh, just enter in his presence God is here and so if there's a need in your life maybe you're you're in need of a breakthrough then we are here to pray for you we are here to to see God move in your life so let's spend this time worshiping, expecting, opening up our expectation for God is, for, for what God is about to do. So let's just, just enjoy this time. There's people in front here who are ready to pray for you. And let's just break through. Let's just break through to God's working in your life. Your praise will ever be on my 